many of you are growing accustomed to hearing each week, um, Judges is about the goodness and depth of God's grace. And we've seen week in and week out that the greatness of God's grace is seen in the depths to which it reaches. And we've also seen week in and week out that those depths are becoming deeper and deeper. Um, This morning we're going to take a look at the life of Samson, one incident in the life of Samson right at the end. I would encourage you to go back this week and and look at some of the first few chapters about Samson. We're going to be in chapter 16 of the book of Judges. Um, This is on page 215 in your pew Bibles. But we start hearing about the life of Samson back in chapter 13. And Samson, uh, of all the judges in the book of Judges, has the most promising beginning. An angel appears to his parents-to-be and tells them about this great and wondrous birth. The mother has been barren, and this angel comes and says, you're going to have a child, and he's going to be this deliverer, and that you need to take very special care of him and set him aside for God's service. And we're set up to think that finally the solution has come. God's people keep wandering away, and finally he's bringing a judge that's really going to set things straight. And then as soon as we get into the life of Samson, we see time and again that he... um, that he doesn't seem to be that person. Now, we're going to pick up with Samson here in chapter 16, verse 4. After this, Samson loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. And then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. She made him tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and he pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. She said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. When she pressed him hard with her words day after day, urged him, his soul was vexed to death, and he told her all his heart. He said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me. I shall become weak and be like any other man. 
When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. She called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. And they made him stand between the pillars. Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, and I may, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two middle pillars in which the house rested. He leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him, brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah's father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word to us. We pray that you would open our hearts to your word. Open your word to us that we might see you, that we might grow in faith. We might be reminded of you, our great God and Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at two things about Samson today. We're going to look, about the fa- look at the fact that this story is about his strength. Then we're going to look at the fact this story is not about his strength. It's about his strength, and it's not about his strength. First, it's about his strength. Um, If some of you maybe have been watching the news and keep up with um, what to us Americans are sort of um, exotic and foreign sports like cycling, you know, the Tour de France uh, happened not too long ago. Maybe if you've been reading the news or seen it on TV, the, the, the winner, Floyd Landis, an American, wins the Tour de France in this amazing race. Uh, But he's under the shadow of drug allegations now. Listen to this quote from uh, an online article from Sports Illustrated. French media heaped praise on Landis for his show of grit to rebound from a near-disastrous performance in Stage 16. Many fans hailed Landis' stunning win in the 17th stage when he erased nearly all of an 8-minute, 8-second deficit to the, to the then race leader, Oscar Pereiro of Spain. Former tour director Jean-Marie Leblanc called the ride, quote, the best performance in the modern history of the tour. And fellow riders were astonished at the time. 
Quote, there is no drug that exists that can make a guy do that, said British writer David Miller, who returned to the tour this year after a two-year doping ban. That was just otherworldly. But Landis's urine samples taken following that stage tested positive, and the mood has grown somber. Okay, now we don't know if he was taking illegal drugs to make himself strong for this race or not, but he's now under the shadow of allegations. And it just sort of highlights the fact that professional sports, like so many things in life, are driven by strength, right? People were amazed at his performance because he was strong, because he was a strong rider, and you have to be to win the Tour de France, because we value strength. We honor it. It's what matters to us. That's what we praise in our sports figures. It's what we praise in the world around us. And the thing is, when strength fails, then everything comes crashing down around us. And for Samson, this story, it's about his strength. It's about his strength. If you read the, the, uh, the rest of the Samson story leading up to this, you would have seen these amazing things that he's done. And when he first steps onto the scene, he's walking across the country, and he's pounced upon by a lion, and he, with his bare hands, rips it apart. And the text says, as someone might rip apart a young goat. Now, I don't know how many of us have ever ripped apart a young goat. Apparently, it's not as hard as ripping apart a lion with your bare hands. (laughs) Samson kills a wild animal with his bare hands and saves his life. A a chapter later, we see that he kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. We see in chapter 16, right before our passage here, that um, he gets angry once and he tears up the city gates of the town of Gaza and he stomps off into the desert with them and plops them down. He was a man who was amazingly strong. That's what everybody thought about him, and it was true. The issue for him was his great strength. The issue for Samson's enemies was his great strength. Uh, Look what happens in the beginning of our chapter here in verse 5. The lords of the Philistines, the rulers, they come to Delilah, uh, his current love interest, and they come to her and say, find out for us the secret of his great strength. Their people have been ravaged by the power of, of Samson. It's about his strength. How can we overcome it? How can we neutralize it? Issue for Delilah was his strength. We see this series of um, exchanges the two of them have where Delilah keeps coming to him saying, what is the secret of your strength? How can you possibly be subdued? And he goes through this list of of things. First he tells her that if if you get seven bowstrings that have never been used and tie me up with those, then then I'll be overcome and, and my strength will leave me and He's mocking her. He's playing with her because she tries that and he snaps them off. So she comes back to him. You've mocked me. Tell me the truth. And he says, well, if you, find, if you get new ropes and bind me with those, then my strength will leave me. So she tries that and he snaps those off as well. It starts to get a little closer to the matter when, he's, when she comes to him the third time and he says, well, if you take the seven locks of my hair and if you weave them together, then my, my strength will leave me and I can be overpowered. And he just shakes that off when when she awakens him, you start to ask the question, like, doesn't Samson get what's... This is, if there was ever a bad relationship, this is it. But for Samson, the issue was his strength, and his strength always saved him. And strength saves him in each of these situations as well. Well, Delilah comes back to him, and she keeps nagging him, and she keeps pressing him, and finally he shares his heart with her, and he says... I'm I'm a Nazarite. I've been a Nazarite from birth. And if you were to have read a few chapters earlier, we would have seen that a Nazarite is someone who's been set apart 
for the service of God. And part of that means for him that, that he's not allowed to drink any wine or strong drink and that he's never allowed to shave his head. Um, and if you've seen through the story of Samson, if you know his story, you know that time and again, almost all of those vows, he's just held in derision. He's never lived up to the calling that's been placed on him. But he, then te- but he tells her about this. And he says, you know, if they um, come and do this, if they shave my head, then... Um, I will become weak and be like any other man. Samson's life revolved around his strength. And for us, maybe often it's the same. It's about our strength. I think one of the interesting refrains in the story is time and again, when she comes to him and presses him, he says, if they do this, then what? Then I shall become weak and be like any other man. What's Samson's great fear? that I'll be like any other man, that all the strength will leave me and I will just be like the rest of the mass of humanity. Now, we have have the ability to sort of fool ourselves because we know that the people around us are weak and suffer from um, the ravages of our lives and in the world. We know that other people get sick. We know that other people often have frustrations in their job. We know that other people... Um, often have financial difficulty. We know that strength fails for other people. But in our great fear often that we would become weak and be like any other man, that that would hold true for us as well. What is your strength? What is it that you rely on? What is it that you find your hope in? What is it that you look to when life gets stressful to save you? What is it that you seem to rely on? What do you fall back on when you and your spouse just can't communicate again? What is it that gives you hope when, once again, your kids don't seem to live up to the high standards you've placed on them? What do you trust in when you're sick, when you're disappointed, when you're anxious, when you're depressed, when you're misunderstood by the people even who are closest to you? Where are you finding your strength? For Samson, it was about his strength. Okay. It's not about our strength. Let's take a look at um, the crisis that happens for Samson. This is in verses 19 and 20. Uh, What is the source of Samson's strength? Okay, this is, you have this vague sense this might be a trick question. Um, It is. What is the source of Samson's strength? Well, Samson says to Delilah that it's my hair, and if you shave off these seven dreadlocks of mine, then I'll become weak like any other man. And she shaves him off. Um, But isn't it interesting that as soon as she shaves off his hair, she wakes up Samson. And Samson says to himself, I will go out and free myself just like I have every time. Okay, now Samson has never had a haircut. He's got seven incredibly long dreadlocks that hang around his head all the time. And he wakes up with no hair. I just can't believe that he doesn't realize that that, that something drastic has happened to him. I think what's interesting is that Samson has come to believe that he really is invincible. He's come to believe that he really does have this strength that can never fail him because it's his own. And we're tempted to look at it and say it's it's all about his hair. Uh, But look in verse 19. 
Uh, Delilah made him sleep on her knees. She called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. His strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep. He said, I will go out at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. It wasn't about his hair at all. It was about the presence of God in his life. And God gives Samson a severe mercy. He takes away the thing that he's always trusted in, the thing that was a gift in his life, that Samson's begun to abuse and make um, the central thing in his life. God strips it away from him. He was looking to his strength to save him, and it failed him. Now, what are the things that you look to to save you that's, that fail you as well? What happens when you aren't strong enough for the task at hand? What happens when you're not gifted enough to live up to the expectations of the people around you? What happens when you're not smart enough? What happens when your health fails you? What happens when even the doctors can't fix you? What happens when your investments come to nothing? What happens when all your relationships fall apart? What happens when you realize you can't save yourself and you realize that whatever you've been hoping in can't save you either? What happens when you finally come to the end of yourself? What happens when you finally realize that you are a weak like any other man? There is good news for Samson. Verse 28. Well, verse 21, 22, what happens? He sees, the eye, his eyes are poked out, he's, he's made a slave in the prison, he begins, he begins to grind at the mill, and then there's this one uh, blazing ray of hope in the middle of this. Verse 22, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And then in verse 28, uh, we start to see some, something more hopeful for him. Just one other comment. My wife pointed this out to me today. I didn't realize it. Verse 22. The Philistines had given up on Samson. Right Here's this guy who ravaged the countryside. They shave his head, and they have now decided that Samson is no longer a threat. Whatever God had given him power is now gone. We have nothing to fear from him again. And they stick him in prison and let his hair begin to grow. They have given up on Samson because surely there is nothing left from this broken, blind wreck of a human being. But then again, verse 28, Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson is in many ways um, an uncouth character, and even here we see him at the end praying for vengeance. But there is a turn here. This is the first time in the story that Samson has ever cried out to God. It's the first time in the story that he's ever given any acknowledgement that my strength comes from you. And though earlier in the passage we saw that his hair began to grow, his hair doesn't save him. What does he do? He cries out for God to come and give him his strength one more time. And I think what's happening for Samson, whether for the first time or stepping back into the life that he should have known all along, he's converted, he's changed, he becomes a different person because he is no longer relying on himself. And he begins to rely on the God who comes to rescue him. He's blind, and for the first time he begins to actually see for the first time he prays, for the first time he realizes that his strength is not his strength. 
And the first time he realized, he recognized that he himself is somebody badly in need of a Savior. He is someone badly in need of God to rescue him from the colossal disaster and defeat that he's made of his own life. The gospel is good news for Samson. And the gospel is good news for you as well. You take God's gifts for granted. You tend to trust in your own strength, in your own intelligence, your own charisma, your own money, your influence to make your life work. And like Samson, we are wandering, philandering, arrogant people who try to stand in our own strength. The gospel is good news for us as well because your sin is not stronger than God's grace. And some of you, like the Philistines, look at your own life and think, it is such a wreck, it is such a failure, it is such disaster, God can never be at work here again. Let me just encourage you that your view of the gospel is too shallow. God's grace is is indeed deep, and it does in fact reach deeper into the depths of our misery than we even knew. Your sin is not stronger than God's grace. It's not deeper than his reach. It wasn't for Samson. It's not for you. Some of you just look at yourself and you think, I'm too broken, too addicted, too hard, too young, too old, too sick, too stubborn, too ungrateful. Jesus came to rescue us from the deepest darkness of our hearts. Martin Luther said, the gospel is for hard-boiled sinners. The gospel is for hard-boiled sinners. The gospel is for you. The gospel is for me, hard-boiled sinners. Now, the other implication of this is that if God's grace is really that strong, if it really reaches that deep, if it can really reach Samson in the middle of the wreck of his life, if it can really meet us in the middle of the wrecks of our own lives, then that means the gospel is good news for the people that you know as well. It means it's good news for the people that you have given up on. The grace of God can come and transform us, if it can transform Samson, God's grace is really powerful enough then to reach the people that we know. Who have you written off? Your neighbor, your coworker, somebody in your family, an old friend, a broken relationship. Who have you said, of whom have you said, they will never change? They've been like this for 30 years. They're going to be like this till they die. They will never see their need for God. They will never think the gospel is good news for them. Really. Because in that moment, when we look at someone we know and say, they're beyond the reach of God's grace, we need to recognize that we don't understand the depth of God's grace at all. It really does reach deeper than any of the sin, than any of the hardness, than any of the brokenness. The gospel gave Samson hope. It gives us hope. And it should give us hope for the people that we know as well. It is for hard-boiled sinners. In just a minute, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And as we're going to say, it's again, it is a table for hard-boiled sinners. For those desperately in need, the truth of the truth and the goodness and the rescue that the gospel brings us. Let me just suggest one, just one point of application for us this week. Uh, may we be people who pray a dangerous prayer. Here it is. God, show me my need for you and show me Jesus. And that prayer might bring havoc into your life. But it's also going to bring you in a recognition 
of our Savior who meets us in the middle of it. Because if we begin to pray prayers like that, for some of us, the blinders might come off. Not that our life is suddenly a disaster now, but we start to see our life for what it really is. But may we also see Jesus who meets us in the middle of it. God, show me my need for you and show me Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the gospel is indeed for hard-boiled sinners. We pray that you would give us hope. I pray for those of us who are in the middle of self-condemnation and accusation and despair, that the light of the gospel would shine brightly in front of them. They would remember that where they are bad, you are good. As they see truly their failure, they would see the light of the gospel that meets them in their need. Lord, may I see that. May we see it. I pray that you would strip off uh, the blinders for many of us who do not see our lives clearly. May we see our lives for what they are and turn to you for the rescue we so desperately need. And may you be honored and glorified in us as we hold the gospel out to a needy city, a needy world, to friends and neighbors and co-workers and people on the street who are also in need of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to come to